Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. Uh, I was reading uh, April and I through our devotions, and uh, this individual that we, uh, that we were reading, he was talking about this time of year and resolutions. He was saying that the gym that he belongs to, uh, this time of year they bring in extra equipment because they have all these influx of people. But he said over the next couple of months, he notices that this new equipment slowly starts to disappear. And he said the reason this disappears is because the people who are coming in start to disappear at the same time. And he says everything kind of settles and goes back to normal. And I, I thought about that because New Year's is that time when a lot of people do, and that's okay, make resolutions. Nothing wrong with that, depending on what they are. And uh, the more I thought about that, I was, I was kind of wrestling. Should I do something like that? Should I set some targets and so on? I don't know about you, but when I have done that, I don't always succeed. Anybody else? I don't always make that mark that I, you know, aim for. So you got to have something to aim for. But one of the things I was thinking about as uh, last week our worship team was up here and, and, and Doug was leading us, Doug Winger, and, and Doug was praying and he said something very interesting in his prayer that, that kind of sort of set the stage for this. And he said, Lord, I know a lot of us are making resolutions, but rather than resolutions, let it be instead of the resolutions we think, the God directions that you have. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, God is concerned about the direction in which we go. How many of you have a GPS? If you own a phone, you have a GPS, right? How many of you use a GPS? How many of you still use a paper map? <laughs> There's a need for both, obviously. You know, we need direction, and... Uh, but you have to know where you're going. Like, like I saw this commercial on television for Chevy, and it's about a family that sold everything they had, I guess, in PEI, and they wanted to see what this nation had. Now, now it would take a fair chunk of change to go across this entire nation and to see everything, wouldn't it? But I thought they had to have a GPS. They had to have this map. They had a, a direction. Maybe they went off once in a while. Hey, let's go this road. Let's go that road. But by and large, they had a direction. They had a clarity of where they were going. And you know what? We need, as individuals, as a con as a, if you're married, as a, as a family, as a congregation, we need clear direction. Do you agree? Because if we don't have that clarity, then we're not sure. Well, up here behind me, what is the word? Four-letter word. Yeah, a good four-letter word. Hope. And, and so, you, you know, you have some hope when you have some direction. If you don't have direction in your life, then you're drifting. And you're not really sure what your life's all about. And, and uh, you can go to Europe or you can go different places to try to find yourself. But when you get there, you'll find out you're still not sure where you're going. And so for me personally, I want to talk about three things this morning. I want to talk about my calling briefly. I want to talk about April and I, our calling that God has on our lives so you know what we're all about. But mostly, mostly I want to talk about calling as Wilmot Center. So firstly, my own personal calling. Um, as, as I've shared with you, in 1981, I came to Christ at the point of suicide, and April led me to the Lord, and, and so on. So the very first time in my life, I started to read the Bible. 
actually read the Bible. I'd never read the Bible before. I'd looked at it, set it down, picked it up, set it down, used it for pressing leaves because we had one of those great big ones, you know, with Jesus on the front who was blonde <laughs> and blue-eyed. He was an American Jesus, I guess, or Swedish. Yay, Canada. No. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, one of the things about when, when April and I became Christians, especially myself, God instantly plugged me in. And I think, folks, if you're not plugged in someplace, then you're, you're drifting as a believer. You need to be plugged in to what God has for you. And so God quickly plugged me in. I was thinking of, of how many times Chester has gone to Haiti. Chester, do you know how many times you've been to Haiti? The fifth trip to Haiti. And he could tell us lots of stories and so he knows he's going there. He's got ideas of what he's going to do. It'll change somewhat, but he's, he's plugged in. And when you start to get plugged in and you start to read the Bible, then you start to hear God's voice. And when God starts to speak to you, it changes your life radically. Do you agree? And so when God starts to speak to us, I missed something there, obviously. When God starts to speak to us, it's interesting. Now, now when I became that believer and, and started to read the Bible, that the minister that was... was spending a lot of time with April and I, him and his wife, and we needed that. We needed that discipleship guidance in our lives. Uh, he said to me one day, he said, Rob, I want you to go up to the hospital with a man named George because his dad's dying, and I want you to go with him. And I said, what am I supposed to do? He said, you support him. I said, how do I do that? He says, well, you go into the room with him, and then you pray. Well, what do I pray? He says, do you hear God's voice? I said, well, I think I'm starting to. He says, well, then do that. That was my instruction. That was it. That's like when I taught April how to drive a standard. I took her around the block once, and I said, there you go, honey, you got it. And that's the truth. That's exactly how poor I did at that time. Um, but the point is that I went with him, and when I went with him, I, uh, I went up to the room, and they had been totally separated for many, many years, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt. But this, this man named George was also now a new believer. He came to Christ because a police officer took him to full gospel businessmen. He arrested him and took him there first. <laughs> Legal? I don't know. But anyway, it worked. Uh, so this man came to Christ in handcuffs. Anyway, he got through all that. God set him free. Long story. So I went with George, and I was in there with him and his dad, and I could see that I prayed for a few minutes. I prayed for them, and then I went down to the little chapel at the hospital in London, and when I was in that chapel, God gave me a vision, the first time in my life that I had a vision that had nothing to do with drugs, <laughs> seriously, and, uh, and as I was there, the vision was me, because I was Catholic, was looking like a priest, and I was on my knees interceding for the hurt and the lonely and the lost. And I knew that's what I was called to do. I knew it right on the spot. And I was a fairly new believer, and, and uh, I was a teacher, and I remember talking to April about it, and April said, I knew this was going to happen. Um, but not in a negative way, in a positive way, but we had no idea what it meant. You see, when God calls you, he looks for obedience. He doesn't put the puzzle together. How many of you do puzzles? How many of you do like those big, big puzzles? I know they do that at the Rutledge House because I hear about puzzles all the time. And um, personally, I can't stand them. Um, <laughs> personally. Not, you know, that's no knock on you if you do it because I, I used to do puzzles, and if they weren't big pieces, I was like, oh, get them out of here. Um, but 
uh, you know, numbered on the back. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I knew that God was calling me, and um, I started to take steps towards that. And eventually, well, within two years, I left my teaching job and stepped out in faith. And we went to Emmanuel Bible College. Had no idea what we were getting into. Because when God calls you, you don't know what you're going to get into. But you need to follow. And so as we, actually we attended this church uh, when we first came here. We were in the, none of this was here. This wasn't here. Uh, the fellowship area wasn't here. It was just the old uh, building with the haymaker hall below it. That was it. There was about 120 people here. And some of those people are still here. God bless you. And uh, so we were here for a short time when, when Glenn Gibson was here. So, so we were introduced to Wilmot Center back then. And one of the things I want to tell you about our church is this is a church that loves to worship. It's a church that loves to worship. Enter into the worship, folks. Like any way that that means to you, enter in. And that's what I saw April and I when we came here. And we just, we felt so much at home. But the Lord had called us into the United Church. And that's another story I don't want to get into. But... The Lord did say this, and when you're called, he will confirm it. At the altar at a Pentecostal church that we used to go to in the evenings to get fed and filled up and so on, a gentleman came up and had the pastor there, and I've told you this, but the word was this, you take the first step. He said, this is what the Lord's saying. He had no idea what we were going through, leaving, going to college, all that stuff. He said, you take the first step. God says he'll see you through the rest. But you have to take the first step. When God calls you, you have to take the step. You can stand still, and the calling, you will go nowhere. We just recently heard a wonderful statement that really spoke to me, and it was a, a preacher saying it, and he said, he said, God will not work with a man he cannot command. God will not work with a man or woman that he cannot command. In other words, when he calls, you need to follow him. It, when you think of Jesus, when he called the first disciples, what did he say to them? Follow me. He said, leave what you're doing, basically, and follow me. Numerous times in Scripture, if you read through, you'll see Jesus, in the calling, said, follow me. And the fishermen could stand still. The tax collector could stand still. The different ones could stand still, or they could follow. And when God begins to call you, you need to follow and so, as a new believer, I was, I was reading Scripture. The Bible is so exciting. If this is becoming boring to you, then something's wrong in your heart. Because this is the living Word of God, the breath of God, speaking to us. And, and all the times I've read through Scripture, every once in a while, I go, I don't remember seeing that before. Is that new, God? It's like He opened my eyes to something new. When you read the Word, anybody else? You discover the nuggets, and you go, whoa, thank you, God. And as I was reading through, God really spoke to me from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, and he said, this is your calling. This is your calling. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing, absolutely nothing, while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. He said, Rob, that's your calling. And I have tried to live out that calling. I haven't always succeeded. I haven't always felt that I've done that, but I know that's my calling. And it's part of my giftedness that I, 
that I bring to you as your lead pastor for all of you, for this ministry, for our community. Because if I'm not led by the Spirit, then I'm led by me. And being led by me is the wrong GPS. I want God's GPS in my life. I want his direction in my calling. The second thing is April and I. As husband and wife, we're called together. We are called together because the scripture says that the two are, well, yeah, we're one. The two are one. All right? So that means in every way. That's why the marriage course is so important. Thank you, Mark, that you shared that uh, there was uh, some testimonies came out of that of some marriages that were falling apart, and now they're together. Praise the Lord. That's great news because the two are one flesh, but the world and Satan wants to destroy us in this area. And so April has different talents, gifts, and abilities. You do not want me to cook you a meal, for example, unless you like toast and oatmeal. <laughs> if you love toast and oatmeal, I'm your man. Beyond that, like the kids always knew before I could buy pizza and stuff when we had like zero money, and the kids said, uh, Mom's away, you're cooking, Dad. And I said, yeah, and they go, we know we're having oatmeal and toast. I said, yeah, how'd you know? And they're like, but to this day, my kids still like oatmeal and toast. Hallelujah. But if you, you know, April's got a lot better gifts and talents than I do in that area, thankfully. And, uh, but you know, the interesting thing about a calling, it's individually, but it's also when you're married, is for the couple. It's for the two of you together. And so April and I had to, you know, we couldn't wallpaper in the same room. It was disastrous. I wanted one way, she wanted another way. We couldn't paint in the same room. You know, we couldn't do projects together. And outside stuff we managed to do because we each had a shovel in our hands. <laughs> Little self-defense mechanism. Um, so we were able to do stuff like that, but, but, but we didn't understand what it was to be a, really a couple to work together. The models that we had growing up were not really good at this. And so that's what we lived. And that's what we understood. But when God comes in, he changes you together. Individually, but together. And so April and I started to seek the face of God together. We had never prayed together. We would never read the Bible together. Uh, we went to church together, but that was just because that was out of what you're supposed to do. And that's what we did. But then when God started to speak to us, he said, there's more than just coming to church. There's more than just reading the Bible. There's more than just praying together. There's a calling in your lives and so we started to ask him what it was, and it was from Isaiah 58, the entire chapter, but in particular, verses 11 and 12. It says this, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. Amen to that. But he goes on to say, you, he's talking to us now, to April and I, he said, you will be like a well-watered garden, you guys, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people... And this is the part that really hit us. And, and in fostering all these years, we started fostering in 1979. They call us the dinosaurs of fostering. You know, we go to these classes and sometimes we feel like we could write the book on it. I remember talking to Otto about this one time. And I said, how long have you guys been doing this? And he told me, how many kids have you adopted? He told me. And I said, and you still have to have training. He goes, oh, yeah. You know, it's just the way it is. So, so when he called us, he had very specific things that he called us to. And it says this, you'll be uh, rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called, notice this is capitalized, repair of broken walls, 
restore of streets with dwellings. And so we have walked that out to be people who rebuild, who raise up, who repair and restore. That's our calling. And we try to do that with, with you. We try to do that with people we know. We try to do that in our own family and our families. We walk that out as best we can. You know what? We can't do that in our own strength. It says here that the Lord will guide you. So what's the very first part? The, the Lord. So the Lord, when he calls you, has a specific calling in your life. Have you ever asked him, number one, what am I called to do, God? What is it I'm called to do? Not your job, not your vocation, not your school, not your retirement. What am I called to do as a person? And the second thing, if you're married, what has God called us to do as a couple? And you say, well, right now our marriage isn't very good, or we're not on the same page. Well, you know what? God wants to change that. God wants to change that. He doesn't want us to be in division in our homes. He wants, as a husband and wife, to be on the same page. Now, does that mean you agree on everything? Of course not. You're still an individual, right? So I like crunchy peanut butter. April likes smooth. And don't substitute the difference. For example, now that's a simple one, but there can be more detailed. If I'm driving, I go one way. We get there. If April's driving, we go another way. We get there. And if I'm in the passenger seat, I'm asking her, why are you going this way? You know what I'm talking about? We're different, but we're still one. And we're still called of God. And so that's the directive that he has in our lives. And so we will continue to do this. I will continue to do this. You will continue to do this as we were singing earlier until we see him face to face. Now the third thing, what about our church, Wilmot Center? Um, well, we've been around for 178 years, so I cannot do justice to that, obviously. But I do have a little booklet here I want to read to you. This is the history of the Evangelical United Brethren Church, which this used to be an EUB. Uh, this was put together by our, our dear friend, late friend Alva, and all of her hard work. And so I just want to read uh, what she came across in our records as a church. Now, I want you to hear this because it's about our calling. And it says this, missionaries uh, from New York, a conference who came across the border preaching on the streets or in homes were responsible. It almost sounds like they were, you know, in trouble, <laughs> but not so. Homes were responsible for the beginning of the Christian work in this area approximately in 1837 to 1838. A Reverend Joseph... Joseph Harlacher sent to this Waterloo mission. He ventured several tours to the center near and far. So he came to, to New Hamburg and different areas. In 1840, when he was passing through Petersburg to Wilmot New Hamburg classes, he preached in the open air and, and openly ridiculed. So way back in, eight, you know, you think in the 1800s, everybody went to church and all this stuff. No, as this guy got up to preach, he was ridiculed for what he believed. Now, has anything changed? No, we're still ridiculed by some for what we believe, but that shouldn't stop us because this man knew what he was called to do. And it says, even though in this open-air ridicule, he was the one God used to bring a Christian witness that was birthed right here. And the Wilmot class was formed in 1840, consisting of the beginning of nine people. Nine people. And the data is somewhat lacking in the details, but the building of that church, which burnt down and then was rebuilt, um, has been traced to 1850. 
the earliest record book records the memorandum of the meeting house of John K. Haymaker in Wilmot on Bleams Road. And it goes on from there, and there's lots of interesting things in here about the history. Now, the other thing about our history was what did God call us to do? It says in 1873, they put money aside for the mission board. So here we have Chester going to Haiti, and, and uh, you're going to go see your folks in Israel. So it's not really like a missions trip, but we do have people who are going on a missions trip, right? Did you see the picture of the Prestons, by the way? They put it out there in shorts. I deleted it. Um, no, I didn't. I said, bless them, Lord. Called, called, called. So this church has always had a heartbeat for missions. Always. Always, always. Do you ever look at the, at the board back there? Just go ahead, turn around for a minute. You say, well, our, our necks aren't. See it back there? What's it say? What's it say? Anybody? Who's close enough? What's it say? Bob? Missions. Is your picture up there, Bob? I believe it is. We won't go there. Okay. Oh, you're right. Because, you see, there's, there's, there's two little things on the bottom. I'm going to get you to read those, Bob. See the bottom ones that, are, that there's nothing written? Right in the center. Right in the center. What's that say? Yeah, thank you. Because this, the heartbeat of Wilmot has always been missions. It's never changed. Isn't that great? So 8,000 for benevolence, that's missions, folks. It is. We are responsible to help the people who are poor, who are widows, who are marginalized. And some of you here are journeying on that road right now. We are called. That has never changed in 178 years. And the interesting thing as I read this booklet is that this church has had times of great growth, even back then, and it talks about times of great decline. The ebb and flow of a church over 178 years is that. It's an ebb and flow, ebb and flow. And it talks about it right in here, which I thought was very interesting. And as I started to read it, I thought, you know, Lord, you have been so good. You have blessed us in this location for 178 years. I don't know about you, but I say amen to that. Because that means everybody who's gone before us has been faithful to do what God called them to do. There were people who, who preached. There were people who led. There were people who whatever, whatever needed to be done, they were doing it. And thank the Lord they continue to do it. And so one of the things in our ebb and flow at our annual business meeting that we just had not too long ago, we talked about sort of direction, but we didn't talk just about that. We talked about what's the possibility of bringing us all together under the same roof at the same time. What does that look like? And so we, we put it out there to the annual business meeting, and then we had an elders meeting. They said, you know, we need to stretch the time so we can get more feedback from the congregation. So we have done that. And uh, there were, there were, one of the things that I saw that uh, we had equally were some concerns about this idea. As we discussed it as a leadership team and prayed about it, and we looked at all the aspects of this direction. 
And we were united in the sense of, of leading as we read God's word and spent time in prayer that, that we are to embrace a single service to draw us all together to continue to build strength and unity as a body. Oneness together in the same camp. And, and so we know that's, that's where God's leading us. So, so we're going to open the door uh, for this single service, and we're going to do this for a season. In other words, we're going, it's not carved in stone. We're going to be checking this to make sure that we're all on the, the same pa- uh, page because there were three big concerns that I got feedback about. I didn't get a lot of feedback. Um, maybe some of you have a lot of ideas, but you didn't really speak to me, or I'm not sure. I didn't get anything. So there were three big concerns. The first one was parking. Like that. Is it up there? <laughs> okay. The second one was seating capacity. Like that. And the third one was the children. All right. So the parking, the seating, and the children. Those were the three big concerns that people had. And I get that because we talked about those things as well. Now, just for clarity's sake, for parking. Across the road at the Catholic facility, uh, we are responsible to blow out the snow. So Dan Schantz faithfully and his team blow out the snow over there, which we're supposed to get more, I heard, right? So they, they do that, which opens up that parking lot for us. We can put 30 vehicles over there. So our leadership team, anybody who's in worship, anybody who's early doing ushering, whatever, are to park over there because we want to free up this. I don't want this to come, and that, none of us here want to see this, where somebody's coming to visit and the parking lot's full and they can't find a place. Agreed? I mean, we don't want to get into that. And, and as we grow, which we will again, it's an ebb and flow thing, folks, and you'll see, we'll see this, it'll change. But for now, we have access to that. So please, let's use it, especially our leaders. So that, that's one idea for the parking. The seating. Now, when I look around, we still have empty seats. Now, I know people are away. Uh, some have gone to Florida. Some are coming back from Florida. Some of you want to go to Florida, and Pastor Wayne's going to use benevolence to go to Florida. <laughs> so we got that all figured out. But, you know, people are coming and going. That's, that's normal. That's our lives. So, so the seating so far seems to be okay. Now, just in case you don't know this, but outside in the fellowship hall, we're able to put 40 to 50 people with chairs. We have it on the large screen. So this is being filmed right now, and it's being broadcast out there. So on the large screen, not the little TV, on the large screen, you can actually sit out there and see the same thing that's happening here. All right, so that's all set up and ready to go. And if we need it, we got it. All right, so just keep that in mind, that that's available as well. So we've got some ways of working around the seating for now. Now the children. Uh, Some of you have said clearly that you would like your children to be in the service. Now, this is not going to be law. If you want to bring your children into the service, bring them in, okay? And it's up to you. We won't dismiss them. Uh, It's up to you to decide when they will go. Downstairs, what we're trying to do so you understand this and have been for the last three years is develop children's worship where the young people, our youth, and our children are involved in doing the worship. They're doing the worship. They're helping with the setup. They're, they're running the PowerPoint. I mean, they're way better at that stuff than me, that's for sure. Some of these young people, I just say, how do you do this? There, it's done. Hallelujah, go for it. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to train them 
to do what, exactly what's going on up here, they're doing downstairs. We have some adults who have stepped up and said, we're going to do the worship with the young people, help teach them, train them in these things, so that when our children come in, they have their own worship. And they're doing some of the songs we're doing, they're doing some different songs, but it's not just video. We want them to be actively doing things. Why? Because if you start with the young people, then they continue in that pattern as they join here, as they get older. That's what we want. There's a goal for this. There's a direction for this. And so you say the children aren't experiencing this. No, they are. They're not experiencing it with you. And if that's what you would prefer, that's up to you. But you need to know what's going on downstairs as well, because I don't want the children missing out on that either. And so there's that dynamic that's taking place down there. All right? Is that clear? So, so if you're not sure, just check it out sometime. If you're not sure what's going on, uh, please, uh, our, our team is doing a great job of, of working on this, and so we want to engage the next generation. We need them to have ownership and not just sitting in the seats. They need to see how they can be interactive. And so we're doing things like having the service times where you'll see young people, right, James, wearing those orange shirts. That'll be our junior highs. And what is that called? Service, just service? As it says, love God, love others. What's the rest? Serve the world. Why are we the world? We're part of it. So they are going to be wearing those orange shirts as a volunteer working around here. You'll see them. Because they're learning. And you know what? We have young people. We're so blessed with our young people here. Man, I see them when we say we got to move chairs. They're moving chairs. When they, we got to use the little sweep, you know, that little sweeper things. They love those things. And they're running around cleaning up. And they just praise the Lord for our youth. Praise the Lord for our young people. Praise the Lord for their involvement in our young adults. God bless you. Man, hold on to the mantle God's called in your life and run with it. Run with it. And we want to set you free to do it. And so that's what's going on in the children's ministry, and we're seeking God for what he has, and that's, that's where we're at. And so we've, we've put together, some people have stepped up, called the Next Steps Leadership Team. And our first meeting is uh, this Thursday night, and we're going to spend about two hours, maybe two and a half, looking at a number of things about our church. At some point, your voice will be a part of it, but initially we need to set the groundwork. And we're going to be doing that. Why? Because we're looking at what God wants to do next. And does that just come from the elders and pastors? No. It comes from the body as well. The leadership comes from there. The direction comes from there. But we need voices. We need younger voices. We need to hear a variety of voices. And so the next steps leadership team is going to be a big part of that. How long that will last, we don't know. But it's like, kind of like the, the single service. How long, we don't know. But we're going to start this way and see what the Lord's going to do. And so it's not a negative, folks. It's a positive. It's not a negative thing to come together like this. It's a positive. And maybe parking's a little difficult. And maybe it's not ideal for, for some of our children. And maybe seating at times might be an issue. But I, I believe strongly that this is what God is calling us to right now. Right now. What it will look like tomorrow, I don't know. But right now, this is what he's calling us to. And, and as a family, you'll be kept in the loop. And so I want to close with the reminders from Scripture. And there are four passages I want us to, to think about. And again, James landed on some of these last week, which was great. And the first one comes from Jeremiah 29, 11, where the Lord says, For I know what? The 
I have for. So who knows? God knows the plans he has for us. That's individually. If you're married, that's as a couple, and that is as a body. Declares the Lord. Plans to what? Prosper you and not to harm you, and plans to give you what? Hope and a future. Isn't that great? If you don't declare anything else in your life, declare that passage. Thank you, Lord, that you know the plans you have for me. You know the plans you have for my family. You know the plans you have for us as a church. And thank you, Lord, that, that in those plans, you, you, you're saying very clearly, you're going to prosper us, you're not going to harm us, you're going to give us hope and a future. Hallelujah. That's our God. So that's the first thing. The second thing is Isaiah 42.9. And this is what Scripture says. See the former things have taken place. Mm-hmm. 178 years. And new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Before all of it forms shape, I am unfolding the plan to you. Isn't that great of our God? He says, I'm unfolding it right before your eyes as you go forward. I want to read to you Isaiah 43, 16 to 21 in the NIV. I didn't put it on the screen. So if you have it in Isaiah 43, you can follow along. Uh, verses 16 to 21. And then one more verse and we'll close. Isaiah 43, 16 to 21. It says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, verse 17, who drew out the chariots and horses and army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now listen to what he says here. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I say, amen, Lord. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland, like he says in Isaiah 58. And then he says this in verse 20, the latter part, and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim what? My praise. And so we are called to do this. And finally, Isaiah 43 or 44, I mean, verse, verses 3 and 4. If you're there, you can just stay there. Have it on the PowerPoint as well. It says this, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. This land is thirsty for the things of God. The land is dry. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Pour out your spirit on our offspring. And my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in the meadow like poplar trees by flowing streams. We are seeking God's directives in, our, in my personal life, in our marriage, and as a church. For all things are possible, even when it looks like mission impossible. Even when it looks like mission impossible, I thank the Lord that, that when we studied the, the story, the Christmas story, Mary was wondering how it would work, and then the angel said what? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible for those who believe and called according to his name. Thanks for listening online with us. 
We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.